We never let the kids go yet. Kids, you don't want to sit here and listen to me talk for 20 minutes, so you might want to make your way to kids' ministry. Leaders dismiss with them. Well, they're running. That's a good sign. We're going to be looking at the story basically right after the Ascension story. So it's still Acts 1, but we'll carry on starting at verse 12 um, and following. Hear the word of God. Acts 1, verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying, and those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scriptures had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David, concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field, in their language, Alkadama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then the cast lots, and the lots fell to Matthias, and so he was added to the 11 apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Nope, not an extra sketch. There we go. I don't know if I did that or they did that, but either way, the words are on the screen that I need. Ascension. We are on Ascension Day, or celebrating Ascension today anyways, and Ascension is basically, it's, it's many things. It's about the Ascension of Jesus, but the, the core image I want you to hang on to is that means Jesus is on the throne. So a few weeks ago when Pastor Peter were up here in the comfy chairs chatting in front of you about God being in control, the the cadet theme, God in Jesus is on the throne 
So he's reigning. And I, I think that actually helps us with that control kind of imagery because Jesus is reigning with power, which means, first of all, he has power. He can do all things he said. He can call up a legion of angels, which could do whatever he needs them to do. But we also see that regularly in the Bible, Jesus' way of, of leading, God's way of having authority, of sitting on the throne, is to rule through his very nature, which is through love, right? And so Jesus is on the throne. Things will go the way they need to in the end. We can be confident of that. But in the meantime, we as his followers, as we see also in the story, are left wondering and waiting. Pastor Peter, when we talked about this at, at our staff meeting this week, mentioned that it's kind of strange that the men in white or the angels who said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Jesus is going to come back just the same way he left. He thought, well, why wouldn't they be looking into the sky? You just told them he's going to come back just the way he left, so why don't we stand there and wait? It's the logical thing to do. But we've recognized, because it's been about 2,000 years, that Jesus' return is something that we continually wait and anticipate and look forward to and, and hang on for, right? And in the meantime, that's what we want to look at today. In the meantime, what are we left to do? Well, first, we wait. And while we wait, we wait for the Holy Spirit. So on one occasion, this is verse 4 earlier in this passage, while Jesus was eating with his disciples during those 40 days after his resurrection, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. They were given a very clear instruction, don't do this on your own. And we received that same instruction, do not do this on your own. Um, one of the Christian schools in the area is doing interviews of pastors about their calling and their experience and so on. And one of the questions in an interview I was giving was this. I was asked, how have you grown in your spirituality through ministry? And the number one thing is you learn more and more and more to depend on Jesus and less and less and less to depend on what you know and what you've been trained in, right? Do not leave do not head out into any kind of ministry until you've waited for the gift of the holy spirit the gift which you heard jesus speak about a little bit more of that in a minute and definitely next week on pentecost while we wait we also wait for jesus return this same jesus again the angel said who had been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven we are in a time of waiting we are in a time of anticipation and and this is a funny time because depending on on your mood your character and what's going on around you sometimes we're in this mode we're in the mode of of god is jesus is on the throne the holy spirit has come we've been empowered let's get out there and do ministry let's change this world let's let's lean into the kingdom that god has already established with jesus being on the throne and other times usually in tougher times we get into the mode of Come, Lord Jesus, just come back. Lord, we're waiting for you. And you'll notice in your life cycle, too, that younger people tend to be, hey, let's get going, let's make a difference in this world. And older people, especially our oldest seniors, tend to be more, come, Lord Jesus, we're tired of the brokenness of this world. And I want to suggest to you that there's not a right and wrong in those two modes. We sit there. That's the waiting after ascension in which we sit, where we wonder, when are we supposed to be active? When are we supposed to be waiting? When are we supposed to be just simply hoping for Christ to return and fill all these things in. And then the place of waiting. 
This is the passage I just read. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. And since you probably don't do Sabbath walking, it's a kilometer. Um, and when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And you've probably heard of the upper room. Because that's also where they went after Jesus, um, after he died. That's where Jesus also appeared to them after his resurrection. They seem to have this room sort of hidden away. It's their, it's their space. And, and I think it's interesting that it's kind of upstairs. It's, it's out of the way. They're, they're behind closed doors. They're, they're off the ground. No one's looking in the windows at them. It seems like they're sequestered. I, I somehow picture this room as not having windows. That's probably not correct. But in my mind, this is a place where they've, they've gone off and hidden themselves while they wait. And these are the waiters, not the servers, the waiters, those waiting. I'm not going to read all the names. I already read them. There's 11 of them, because this is a story about how we brought the 12th back in. I quipped in anticipating this sermon that even though we're saying goodbye to Brandon and Peter, this is a service where we talk about replacing the traitor. I didn't mean them, but, you know, if you made that connection, <laughs> that's on you. Along with along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Because it's interesting here. They're going to replace Judas. And in doing so, they have a whole bunch of people to choose from. There's about 120 there that Peter talks to. Right? There's, there's lots of witnesses. So why do they need to, need to name 12 of them? Right? So we're, we're not a numerology culture. Right? So we have just as many elders as we need to do the work that we need to do. We never say it's got to be this number because that's a, a, a smart number, a holy number, a more meaningful number. We have very practical uses of numbers. But for this, a couple of weeks ago I preached on Revelation 5, right? It's the 24 elders around the throne. So you got 12 brothers in the Old Testament and they made sure there's 12 tribes even though it was a little bit confusing how they did that and now you need the 12 apostles you need to remain with 12 apostles because we need this fullness to happen it's the image it's the picture that god wants us to see that his way of doing things brings the kind of completeness that we need those waiting the 11 waited in this posture they all joined together constantly in prayer Elsewhere in the Bible, it says, pray continuously. Pray always. And for most of us, since we've been trained that prayer has a particular posture that looks, Andrew, i got to move some and make it hard on you. That looks like this. This is how you pray, and this is when you're praying. And when you're praying, of course, you're saying, dear Jesus, dear God, dear Holy Spirit, and then you list your things, and you say in Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, amen. If that is how they are praying constantly, that's pretty hard because you don't get to sleep when you're doing that. Right? You don't get to eat when you're doing that. And so maybe we need to rejig our picture of what prayer actually looks like so that we can do it constantly. There's a hymn, and I think it actually comes from Words of Mountain Luther, if I'm not mistaken. As I breathe, I pray. As I breathe, I pray. So I've done some different exercises with people before. One that I was taught was when you breathe in, breathe in the Holy Spirit. As you breathe out, breathe out truth and love and grace and the fruit of the Spirit. As I breathe, I pray. 
Now, I'm not telling you you don't need to do the formal prayers. I'm suggesting that when you have practices and habits and spiritual disciplines in your life, they become a way of breathing for you, right? When I pay attention to how I feel in certain circumstances, I start to be able to, to manage and guide and find healing in that process, right? As I breathe, I pray means that if I have a regular habit of formal prayer, having conversations with God, responding to circumstances in prayer, then eventually, over time, it grows that I regularly pray. Every conversation includes prayer. I recognize that as I'm talking to somebody, God's in that conversation, and what I'm saying to them is also a prayer. They took on this posture of prayer. And as we are waiting for God to move, if there's something in your life where you feel like these apostles waiting for, well, he told us to wait, there's something else, there's something more coming, pray. Pray formally, pray informally, pray together, pray, pray alone. Be constantly in prayer because this ongoing conversation with God is part of how we function in our waiting posture. And then this, pre-Pentecost Peter. This kind of threw me off because I'm sure I've said probably many times, now let me start with this, I don't think I've ever preached on this passage before. So on Ascension Sunday, you do the beginning of Acts 1. On Pentecost Sunday, you do Acts 2. And then the second half of Acts 1 just gets missed because there's no Sunday in between to deal with this one. And so I've often said on Pentecost, Peter, who it seems through the Gospels, continually opened his mouth and said the wrong thing, suddenly when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, now knows how to preach and, and is, is amazing, right? But this is pre-Pentecost, and the same Peter again stood up among, among these 120 people, and he starts to preach. And look what happens. The Spirit had already been speaking, because this is what Peter says. The Scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David. In other words, the Spirit didn't come at Pentecost. The Spirit was poured out in abundance at Pentecost. Right? And this isn't probably news to you, but it's important to, to see the, the significance of this is that Jesus, in the Gospel of John, at his resurrection, breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They had it then. Throughout the Old Testament, especially in the book of Judges, the Spirit came upon people like Samson and, and empowered this crazy wild man to do the kinds of things that God needed him to do. The Spirit takes us as we wait in all of our messiness and uses us, whether that's with a regular trickle of the Holy Spirit, if you will, or with this floodgate of the Holy Spirit. But part of our waiting journey, part of our waiting journey is to continually wonder, and this is maybe the content of our prayer, what's the Holy Spirit look like for me? What is his nudging for me? So as you heard, we were on a spiritual disciplines retreat this week, right? And there was silence and listening involved in that. And many of us were amazed that God didn't, you know, open the sky and completely radically change who we are. And I think for many of you who are with me, that's because God doesn't need to radically change you. You're already on the right journey. But Jesus and the Holy Spirit often speak to us in that small, still voice with a nudging based on what we're seeing or feeling or enjoying. That we learned then as we started to share that, you know, the, the accumulation the accumulation of all of our different small experiences, if you will, is the power and the breadth of what God is doing, right? So any single one of us here can think, yeah, I don't know that I'm doing too much in the way of transforming the lives of other people, but if you think of the cumulative, cumulative that's a hard word, effect of all of us 
and all the conversations we have and the listening that we do and the love that we share, right, that is God's business going, right? God is not about individuals. He's not about just single people managing to change the world. He's about a community of faith, holding on to each other, loving each other, listening to him, and moving forward. Thank you. And on that note, now we've got to deal with Judas. And that should be hard. Spencer, please never come up here and don't cry. Let's just change the narrative on that. When you pray about horrible things in the world, it's good that we shed tears. And on that note, Judas. Verse 17 here says he was one of our number and shared in our ministry. They're kind of keeping it low-key so far, Peter is. And then I put a warning of explicit material, but I've already read it, so you've heard it. And maybe you don't even notice this anymore, how horrible this is. With the payment that Judas received for his wickedness, for betraying Jesus, he bought a field. And in this version, he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. I won't be any more graphic. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. Is that not your greatest fear? That something horrible happened, that you do something horrible and... Now you're the talk of the town. So they called that field in their language a keldama. I think that would be the best way to say that. That is field of blood. A constant and perpetual memorial of a horrible act. Right? It's like a battlefield cemetery kind of an idea. The Gospels tell us it became a potter's field, which is a place where in hope, in generosity. They allowed those who did not have land for burial to use that as their cemetery, a public cemetery. This horrible piece of the story, it's part of our story, right? Because again, we're going to gather around the table, the communion table, the same table that this Judas gathered around, and we identify a little bit with some of the dynamics of that. But there's also there's also the moving forward, because again, God didn't orchestrate and want Judas to do this horrible act. But as always, and this is our hope, God is on the throne, and he used even that horrible betrayal to do precisely the most amazing thing in the world, which was to have Jesus' death cover our sins, and his resurrection give us that gift of life and hope and moving forward. And then difficult justice, because justice should always be difficult. If you're really excited because someone's put to justice, meaning that they get punished, you're missing part of the gospel. It's truth and love. It's mercy and grace. It's justice and mercy together. It's that mix. And you read the psalmist, and the psalmist is always very explicit in his anger, his frustration with that which is wrong in this world. So I'm not saying don't be emotionally engaged in your frustration with what's wrong in this world. Do that. May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. Let that which is broken in this world be wiped out. That's the language there. But always this piece as well. Let another take his place of leadership. Let's keep moving forward towards truth. Let's not be satisfied with stopping that which is wrong. Let's be hopeful that we can do things better and in a more true way, in a way that embraces and loves and 
redeems what was done in a broken way. So Peter continues, Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time that the Lord Jesus was living among us, so someone who saw all the ministry of Jesus, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So, in essence, Peter here is defining what an apostle is. The word simply means sent one, right? It qualifies all of us. We are sent to do this ministry. The word means sent, apostello. But in this particular context, it's somebody who was with Jesus the whole way. Now, there's an interesting conversation about this passage that says, maybe Peter did jump the gun. Maybe he wasn't yet full of the Holy Spirit. Maybe he was anticipating what Jesus said was going to come, and so he wanted to jump the gun like he usually did. And so this whole move of casting lots and, and picking this replacement was premature because Paul comes along clearly chosen by God, clearly saw Jesus, talks about himself as an apostle. Now, I'm not sure that's true, but it's worth thinking about. It's worth wondering about. Either way, they needed somebody to fill in this role to complete what God was doing. There's this recognition that as we, um, as we move forward, we rest on the truth of the apostles, right? Does anyone know who wrote the Apostles' Creed? You know that one? What would the obvious answer be? The apostles, yeah, it's not true. It's just, there's 12 statements in there that is based on the teaching of these apostles. There's a fullness that needs to be there, right? And that's why the historic church, all churches, use the Apostles' Creed as one of their foundational truths because it helps us recognize again that as we move forward, we do it on the fullness, on the healed number, the 12 people, right, that Jesus... Um, that Jesus put in place and that were restored in this story. So, does this look familiar? They nominated two men in this case, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice and Matthias, and they prayed. And they said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. And I have I want to pause here. When they're saying everyone's heart, what do you think? Do you think they're talking about the hearts of Joseph and Matthias or the hearts of the people who sent them to be there. I think you can think about that both ways. Lord, you know all of our hearts, so show us which of these you need us to have among us. Lord, you know everyone's heart, so show us which one of these has the right heart at this time. Because my guess is, like when we nominate, everybody has their heart in the right place. That's why when we vote, we usually vote in favor of all those people because we recognize their heart's in the right place. God just has a particular call for one of them. So it's the same system we use, just so you can see that. And then they cast lots. Now, which one was chosen? Anyone know? Matthias. Very good. Because that's the last we hear of these people, right? He doesn't become some super apostle that we hear everything about. The number is fulfilled, and then end of the story for Matthias, as far as we know. Right? In fact, we basically mostly hear about Peter and John and a little bit about James. So the question isn't, which are the best people in the kingdom. The question isn't who has the authority so that they can do things and the rest of us watch. This was a matter of completion because the sent ones, of course, were told, wait for the Holy Spirit so that you can go to Jerusalem where they were, Judea and Samaria, which was down south and up north, and then to the very end of the earth. This thing can start spreading and spreading and spreading. 
right? When we also choose office bears, when we choose leaders, when we hire staff, when we bring people in, their purpose is not to do all the ministry for us. Their purpose is to help us wait in a way that all of us see that we are sent, that we are apostolized, that we are sent by God with the power of his spirit to be on mission, to bringing love, to listening to people, to caring for people, and to building his kingdom here. So, summary. While we wait, this is what you need to hang on to. While we wait, no, Jesus is on the throne. We're not on the throne. Pastors aren't on the throne. The council's not on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. Whenever you get asked the question, who's the leader of your church, always say Jesus. Always say Jesus. Right? Jesus is sitting on that throne. So pray. Prayers are access to the guy on the throne. Prayers are a connection with Jesus. Prayer is our recognition again. Jesus, the reason I'm praying is because you're on the throne, which means I know things are going to ultimately go where they need to go. So I'm going to talk with you, and I'm going to ask you to reveal to me, what do I need to do in this circumstance? How can I be part of what you're trying to do? Jesus is on the throne, so pray. And as you pray, hear from the word like Peter did. Listen to what the Spirit's been saying all along through his word, right? But while you're at it, recognize we're still waiting for that Spirit. We're still doing the Pentecost thing that in order to understand this word, because you may have noticed, different people understand it differently, right? In order to fully understand this word, we need to constantly be waiting on that Holy Spirit to come and guide us and fill us. The same Spirit who inspired the guys who wrote this, the folks who wrote this, is going to inspire us to understand it and act on it in the appropriate way. And then finally, put people in place. So as you, again, put folks like myself and staff, as we put council members in place, as we put leaders and ministries in place, what we're recognizing is all of us together are waiting for the Spirit to come and empower us wherever we are, wherever we serve, to do His work. These are three really simple, basic parts of church. Right? I can't imagine anybody's going, man, I've never heard anyone talk about praying and reading the Word and putting people in place before. But they're so essential, they're so foundational, that we need to remember that those simple tasks which you hear about all the time are the foundation and the bedrock of us moving forward together. Pray. Listen to the word. Be in place. Be put in place. And serve. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you that you call on us, that you gather us, that you promised us you're coming back, that you promised us your Holy Spirit. And we pray that we as a community may be waiting, waiting in prayer, waiting with your word, waiting even as we're standing in the positions we've been put in. Lord Jesus, come now and fill us with your spirit. Come now and guide us into the paths that we're meant to walk. Come now and make this place a place where your kingdom is realized, is experienced, and grows. Thank you, Jesus, for your promise. Amen.